0: Thus, the sporting God is at work in the Northwest, and uh, we're just happy to play a small part in a much broader picture that God is painting in this region. And uh, He is doing uh, incredible work. Hey, just one thing I wanted to put on your radar, uh, real briefly, is this Saturday is the start of our uh, monthly women's event uh, here uh, at Pursuit called Together uh, Women's Ministry. And so we're going to invite you to be a part of that if you are a woman or or identify as such. Why don't you go ahead and join us? Saturday boarding 930. I was once a man trapped in a woman's body for nine months, and then I was born and so I sympathize with you But anyways We're gonna be we're gonna be here not me, but there's gonna be women here Saturday boarding 930. We don't want you to miss out and then some of you may already seen this driving into town But we got our new billboard up and we are advertising Easter here in the Northwest Christians happy Easter Jews happy Passover atheists Happy April! And so, anyways, we're covering all the bases, and we're doing nine services between Friday and Sunday, Easter weekend, three on Good Friday, six Sunday morning, and so invite everyone you know, in-laws, outlaws, everyone in between, and we're going to get people into the house of God and share the gospel, the good news of a risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and we love Easter. We love what God is doing here. In this uh, region, hey, this morning I'm going to share with you out of, uh, two passages of Scripture. Primarily, the first being First Corinthians 16, and the second being Acts 19. In 1 Corinthians 16, the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church that he founded. That's in the midst of a little bit of chaos, trouble, and turmoil, and they've got issues with spiritual gifts. They've got issues with sexual identity and ethic, and He writes them as a father in the faith and says, hey, let me help show you a better way. But I love that even the correctional tone of Paul's letters to early churches is always sandwiched with encouragement on either end. Can I tell you the point of biblical correction is to walk away encouraged that you can live better than you've ever lived before? It's not to give you shame, because shame comes from the enemy. It's not to give you condemnation because the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. It's to encourage you to put your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. I love how Paul is writing this letter to the church uh, in Corinth, and he's just encouraging them in the way that they should go. And he reaches the last chapter of his first letter, which is chapter 16, and he's ending in typical Pauline fashion. He's ending with like a benediction, a prayer. He's giving thanks to certain individuals. He's giving a couple shout-outs to people for their financial generosity. And then he includes in the closing chapter of 1 Corinthians his desire. He says, my desire is to come visit you soon. But currently, I'm in Ephesus. But my desire is to visit you soon. And Paul says something very interesting in the context of two verses. And I want to use these verses today as a foundational text for the sermon this morning. In 1 Corinthians 16, starting in verse 8. Paul says this to the church in Corinth. He says, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and yet there are many adversaries. Yeah, Paul is writing the church in Corinth while he is staying in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is where Paul will plant another church that later his true son in the faith, Timothy, pastors, until he is martyred for his faith in that city. And these two cities are separated by what's called the Aegean Sea, with Corinth on one side and Ephesus on the other. And as he reaches the end of his first letter, Paul says, I am planning on visiting you, but I can't leave yet, because God has opened both a great and effective door for me in Ephesus, yet there are many adversaries that word Greek door that that word great door in the Greek translates to abundant door loud door mighty door strong door the door of greater things in fact we get the English word mega from the Greek word great but Paul doesn't stop there he doesn't just say it's a great door he says it's an effective door which when you translate it in the original language means an at work door, an active door, a powerful door, a door marked with opportunity. It's where we get the English word energy. So here's what Paul is saying, God has opened a door of massive energy for me in Ephesus, yet there are many adversaries who wait for me on the other side. I would dare say to you this morning, Pursuit, we are in a season of massive energy and momentum as a church, but it is what we do with what we have that determines whether this moment will define us or pass us by. We have the wind, now it's time to raise the sails. We've got the oil, now it's time to collect the jars. We've got the fire, now it's time to build the altar. It is what we do with this moment that I believe defines our region for the next decade. There is a door that has been opened for us in the Northwest. And I'm going to take as many people as possible with me because there is a region that hangs in the balance who is waiting on the other side. No, it will not be easy. No, it will not be safe. And it certainly won't always be fun, but it will be worthwhile to see an entire region open up to the gospel in previously unforeseen ways. Pursuit, we've got an open door. Now, what are we going to do with it? See, John saw a door and he came up higher. Paul saw a door and he walked on through. Peter saw a gate and it opened unto him. Ezekiel saw a door and he entered in through it. Samson saw a door and he picked it up. God has opened a door, but on the other side wait many adversaries. That word adversaries means unreconcilable differences, to stand against with force, to constitutionally oppose. See, the size of your door will be directly proportional to the size of your adversaries. The bigger the door, the bigger the opposition, but the bigger the door, the greater the reward. Over the last 18 months, I've been referred to the attorney general's office for prosecution, threatened with fines from the health district, been on receiving end of death threats from people in this community, all for making a commitment to keep this church open. And on Monday of last week, we received a letter from the city, letting us know that they were planning a public hearing to classify our church as an undesirable use and zone us out of the city. On Tuesday, our lawyers got involved and started filing public records requests. On Wednesday, our land consultant got involved and called the city. By Thursday afternoon, we had a letter from the city apologizing for their original proposal and letting us know that the pursuit would be safe from any attempts to zone us out of the downtown district. Hear me, friend, I refuse to allow the size of our enemies to deter us from the great and effective door that lies ahead. See, we want great doors with no pushback. We want great rewards without any significant sacrifice. We want effective lives with zero criticism. But if you want to avoid conflict, be nothing, say nothing, and do nothing. But if you want to make a difference, be prepared for insults, controversy, accusations, and adversaries. See, when God opens a door, don't be tempted by greed greener pastures, but instead tend to the soil underneath your feet, for God has opened a door, but there are many adversaries who wait for me on the other side. In the book of Acts and in chapter 19, Luke, the author of our church history, tells us some of the adversaries that Paul faced in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus. And I believe that he outlines four major conflicts that Paul faced in that city that are similar to conflicts that you and I face today. Now, I know the Bible is an old book, but it's also a living and breathing book, which means you can read one chapter a thousand times, but on the thousand and first time, the Spirit illuminates something to you you ain't never seen before. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. And when you get the word of God inside of you like a fire trapped in your bones, it builds a faith that you can't explain. And all of a sudden, these words become weapons of warfare in your mouth as you declare God's promises until it becomes man's reality. Paul had a great and effective door, but it wasn't with adversaries who waited on the other side. In Acts 19... The Bible begins to tell us the story of the adversarial circumstance that Paul and his traveling companions find in the city of Ephesus. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we have not so much as even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Now, when they heard this, they was baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, watch. Paul found disciples who had never even heard that there was a Holy Spirit alive, active and available to believers today. I find that is true for some Christians, even in our region. We haven't even heard that Jesus still heals. We haven't even heard that Jesus still delivers. We haven't even heard that spiritual gifts are for today. We haven't even heard that miracles, signs, and wonders are still what He does. We haven't even heard that revival is still in the soil of the Northwest. See, the first conflict that Paul faces in Ephesus is what I call the regular and ordinary conflict that happens when any community is experiencing growth, change, and development. I call this growing pains. It's the conflict that comes when you gotta make the decision that even if I've been following Jesus my entire life, there is still, that God, there is still more that God has for me in my future than he has in my past. Because as soon as you begin to believe the lie that there is nothing new to learn, nothing new to experience, nothing new to develop, you begin to spiritually die. And friend, if the word of God is living and active, then what's your excuse? God has not run out of spiritual gifts. God has not run out of dreams and visions. God has not run out of purpose or power. God has not run out of development or growth. Some of us have spiritually plateaued because we have believed the lie that we have somehow arrived. Friend, you haven't arrived. Your journey has just begun. Oh, and there's a reason the Holy Spirit is called the helper. Because if your faith don't get you into trouble every once in a while, you ain't trying hard enough. No, by faith we're going to plant in Seattle and the helper is going to have to show himself strong. By faith we're going to buy a new property and the helper is going to have to show himself strong. By faith you're going to enter into that new relationship and the helper is going to have to show himself strong. By faith you're going to buy that house this year and the helper is going to have to show himself strong. By faith you're going to raise them kids, you're going to stay married and the helper is going to show himself strong. See, faith gets us out of the boat, and the helper does the rest. It says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Watch. You don't have to speak in tongues. You get to speak in tongues. Now, I can't explain it, but I know it works. I still remember when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time when I was a young man. It was a transformational experience in my life. It didn't make me a better Christian. I don't get to go first in line during the rapture, but it didn't do me with power from on high, and my life has never been the same. Friend, there is more for you if you just have the faith to believe. And in verse eight, the second conflict appears. And Paul went into the synagogue and he spoke boldly for three months reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, they spoke evil of the way before the multitude. So Paul departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years. I'd like to tell you today that every adversary you face will clear up in two minutes or two weeks. But here's the reality. Some stuff you might have to battle for two years or two decades until one day you finally get breakthrough. Your job is to not give up. You in a tough spot in your marriage? Don't give up you're in a season of doubt in your faith, don't give up. You're feeling lost, not knowing what to do next. Whatever you do, don't give up. I've got good news. Victory belongs to people who show up and refuse to give up, and that, in fact, is who you are. Now, Paul is the most brilliant man of his day. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament, the one that you read. He debates with the scholars. He brings the gospel to the European continent. And not even he can convert the hard hearts of religious folks in the synagogue. Hear me, friend. Not every seed you sow will fall on good soil. But if you obsess over the ones that don't produce, the enemy will depress you from ever sowing again. Oh, it's true. Some seed falls on hard soil. Oh, it's true. Some falls on shallow soil and others on rocky soil, but there is some that lands on good soil as well. And it produces 30, 60, 100-fold return, and it causes you to forget the pain that the other soil caused. I know you got rejected the last time you tried to step out in faith, but God's got some good soil left in your life. I know you got mocked the last time you tried to share your faith, but God's got some good soil left in your life. I know you got hurt by the last church you came from, but God's still got some good soil left in this region, and it's time to start sowing again. Now, friend, don't allow the religious traditions of your past to blind you to what God would desire to do in your present. I know this looks different. I know it sounds different. I know it feels different. But it's just a new generation's expression of an unchanging God who is faithful to finish what he started. See, the second conflict that Paul faces in Ephesus is the religious conflict of stiff-necked critics. But here's what I love. Conflict marked Paul. He said this to his sons in the faith. He said, remember my chains. He said, remember my scars. Listen, I don't trust somebody who claims to be an apostle or a leader until I see the scars of some adversarial circumstances that tried to take them out, but they were just too stubborn to die. And in fact, the greatest argument against death in your life is an unfinished assignment. And I look out over this congregation today, and I see a sea of unfinished assignments. Friend, if you still got breath in your lungs, if you still got a pulse in your body, you still have a purpose from God that is yet unfinished, and he will give you the strength to finish the thing that he started in your life. I love how Paul is marked by the abuse he incurs from preaching the gospel. He's stoned, he's left for dead, he's shipwrecked. He's whipped, he's beaten, he's abused, he's beat up. Every time he goes into a city, a new riot forms. They try to kill him. And he writes his true sons in the faith, and he says, you want to know what my apostolic resume is? They tried to kill me, but I refused to die. They left me for dead, but God raised me to new life. No, I got betrayed and abandoned and slandered and talked about. The enemy should have taken me out when he had his chance. I've survived 100% of my worst days and I got the scars to prove it. That's what gives me the authority to speak into your life. This is how Paul writes the church. No, see, your scars tell a story. Not of what the enemy tried to do to you, but how God preserved you in the midst of conflict that should have taken you out. No, you walked through the fire, but you weren't burned. No, you were in the waters, but they did not overtake you. No, a 1,000 fell by your left and 10,000 at your right, but it did not come near you. No, you survived when everybody else fell away, and the marks that you bear from previous seasons of pain is your spiritual resume to speak into the life of somebody else. The first conflict that Paul faces is the ordinary and regular conflict of a growing community. But the second he faces is the religious conflict of stiff-necked folks. In verse 13, the story continues. And some of the itinerant, traveling Jewish experts took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? And then in the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and bleeding. The third conflict that Paul faces in Ephesus is the relational conflict with the traveling ministers of his day, watch. I think sometimes people in my generation are tempted to hide behind a quote, love for travel, because what they are really running from is the danger of being known. Consistent Christian community affords you the opportunity to be truly known and truly loved, not because you're perfect, but because you're home. I didn't say Christian community. I didn't say consistent community. I said consistent Christian community. See, God takes the orphan and he sits them at his table. God takes the lonely, the broken, the contrite, the abandoned, the forgotten about, and he places them in spiritual family so that not only can you be truly known, but you can be truly loved. And if we can build a community that truly knows one another and truly loves one another, then we can create such a safety net in this church that people, even when they fail, have enough faith to get back up and try, try again. God has placed you in a family. Not just so that you can receive, but also because you have something to give. You've got a kernel of faith. You've got a seed of resource. You've got some giftedness and some talent and some fruit that God's developed in and through your life. And if you'll let Him, He will use you to be the answer to somebody else's prayer. Friend, hear me this morning. You don't have authority by proximity you don't have anointing by proximity. I preach Jesus, I teach Jesus, I worship Jesus, but until you encounter him for yourself, you're just vicariously living through the passion of somebody else. See, our social media culture creates this weird phenomenon. People act like they know a celebrity just because they happen to know facts about that celebrity. For example, Tom Cruise, he was born in 1962. He's 5'7", he's been married three times. I know he used to work as a busboy in New York. He's currently a member of the Church of Scientology, which is neither a church nor scientific. But if you were ever in a crisis, if you was ever in a crisis, it doesn't matter how loud you yell his name. He ain't never met you before. You don't have access to his estate. You can't show up at his house. You can't use his stuff. You're not invited to his events. You know a lot of facts. You got a lot of information. It might make you appear like you have a relationship, but the reality is you don't. And my concern for folks today is that we know a lot of facts about Jesus, but have we truly encountered his lordship and transformative power in our lives? Now, if even the demons believe and tremble, then what's our excuse? Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? It reminds me of a story. At the University of Chicago Divinity School, each year they have what is called Baptist Day. It's a day when all the Baptists in the area are invited to the school because they want the Baptist dollars to keep flowing in. On this day, each one is invited to bring a sack lunch to be eaten outdoors in a grassy picnic area. For every Baptist day, the school would invite one of the greatest minds to lecture in the Theological Education Center. In one year, they invited a man by the name of Dr. Paul Tillage. Dr. Tillage spoke for two and one half hours, attempting to prove that the resurrection of Jesus was false. He quoted scholar after scholar and book after book. He concluded that since there was no such thing as the historical resurrection, the religious tradition of the church was groundless, emotional, mumbo jumbo, because it was based on a relationship with a risen Christ who in fact never rose from the dead in any literal sense. And then Dr. Tillage made a fatal mistake. He asked the audience if there was any questions. After about 30 seconds, an old black preacher with a head of short, cropped, wooly white hair stood up in the back of the auditorium. He shouted as loud as he could, Dr. Tillage, I got one question. He said as all the eyes turned towards him. He reached into his sack lunch and he pulled out an apple and he began eating it. Dr. Tillage, crunch, munch, munch. My question is a simple question, crunch, crunch. No, I ain't never read them books that you read, crunch, crunch. I can't recite the scriptures in the original Greek or Hebrew, crunch, crunch. I don't know nothing about the experts you quote, munch, crunch, munch. He finished the apple. He said, all I want to know is the apple I just ate. Was it bitter? Or was it sweet? And Dr. Tillage paused for a moment and answered in exemplary scholarly fashion I cannot possibly answer that question, for I haven't tasted your apple. And the white-haired preacher dropped the core of his apple into his crumpled paper bag. He looked up at Dr. Tillage and said calmly, neither have you tasted my Jesus. The thousand plus in attendance could not contain themselves. The auditorium erupted with applause and cheers. Dr. Tillage thanked his audience and promptly left the platform. I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good so that your faith is not in the one Russell preaches. Your faith is not in the one the pursuit teaches. Your Faith is in the one that you have personally experienced, and there is no going back. Who are you? This is who you are. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. In verse 18, the story continues. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. But about that time, watch, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of the goddess Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Paul's travel companions." See, friend, Paul's ministry was similar to Christ's in that the teaching of the word was confirmed with signs, wonders, and miracles. People were so shook by the testimony of Jesus that they brought their books of magic to be burned. They brought their horoscopes, their crystals, their tarot cards. They brought their Ouija boards, their porn, their drugs, their crack pipes, and their needles to be burned in the city square. It amounted to 50,000 pieces of silver, which in today's money would have been 5.5 million, almost enough to fill your gas tank. And about that time a great commotion arose. See, the fourth conflict that Paul faces in Ephesus is the regional conflict of principalities and powers. See, in the city of Ephesus, the people worshiped the goddess Diana, and there was a massive temple built in her honor in the center of the city. She was the goddess of fertility and reproduction. In order for the church of Ephesus to move in, principalities and powers had to move out. Paul was making room for the advancement of the gospel and it disempowered previously enthroned idols. See, God will not share his throne with another. When a church moves into a city, it begins to take back land that has been held by the enemy for generations. It's a spiritual disruption. Conflict in the region is proof that the church is on mission. And when the people came to burn their witchcraft... It was sending a signal to the spiritual drug dealers of the region. We don't want your stuff. We aren't addicted to your products. We won't worship your gods. We won't bow at your altars. It wasn't just that the silversmiths were losing business. It's that demonic principalities and powers were losing their grip on a city that previously belonged to them. You know why we got so much conflict in this region? Idolatry is losing its grip. Witchcraft is losing its grip. Depression is losing its grip, suicide is losing its grip, paganism is losing its grip, addiction is losing its grip, abuse is losing its grip, overdose is losing its grip, humanism is losing its grip, sexual immorality is losing its grip. When the church moves in, demons move out for the advancement of his kingdom. There is no end. Come on, you can stay standing, I'm almost done. Oh, there was some great adversaries who waited on the other side. But the great and effective door was just too good to pass up. I want you to know, friend, today that what you've been battling, that heaviness that seems to follow you, as soon as you get out of one conflict, you're back into another. As soon as your family recovers from sickness, everybody's sick again. You feel like you're getting hit one thing after another. I want to let you know you are facing adversarial circumstances, but it's because you're part of a church that's going through a great and effective door. And the warfare is worth where we're going. The warfare is worth the reward that you will receive. And after you've done everything to stand by God's grace, you're going to Continue to stand for God will give you victory in your house. He will give you victory in your workplace. And He will give you victory in this region. And watch the gates of hell will not prevail. They'll try. They'll try. They'll be really upset. They'll try to zone you out and shut you up and scare you with all sorts of fear tactics. They'll try. But victory belongs to folks who show up and don't give up. in pursuit, that is who you are. Come on, friend, let me pray for you. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we say by your spirit, do your best work inside of us. I declare over you today, friend, a fresh anointing of God's spirit that you, in fact, would be endued with power from on high, strengthened for the journey that is ahead. For those of you in here this morning who feel like you're on the edge of giving up or breaking down, I say great grace and great strength is your portion. For those of you who have been troubled in your mind by the conflict around you, I say great peace and great joy is your portion now in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you that you have opened doors no man can shut. That you will lead us in the way that we should go, that we would never depart from it. And God, I pray now that you would strengthen us in the innermost with your Holy Ghost. And in doing so, we would see victory in and around us. That what we put our hand forth to do would prosper. That as we keep our eyes on the author and the finisher of our faith, that his grace would see us through to that next season of life. That even in the valley of the shadow of darkness, I will fear no evil for he is with me. I declare over you pursuit this is who you are this is who you are come on we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus God's people said amen amen come on friend if you're here today you need prayer for any reason you need a miracle in your life a miracle in your household breakthrough in your mind I want to add my faith to yours to see God do something really great for you today if that's you why don't you make your way forward come on let's pray together if not God bless thanks so much for joining us We'll see a lot of you next week. Come on, invite a friend. Let's help build the house of God together. We'll see you soon. God bless.